So Money Episode 315, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Creating opportunities by starting your own business is one of the most empowering things you can do for yourself. However, it can also be overwhelming at times. The secret to getting more done isn't about finding more time, but rather finding the right tools. Our friends at FreshBooks couldn't agree more. FreshBooks has created an amazingly simple invoicing tool designed for small business owners who need to focus on their work, not their paperwork. Oh, and invoicing is only the start. FreshBooks lets you know instantly when your client has viewed your invoice and even imports your expenses directly from your business checking account. Get ready to say goodbye to searching for receipts when it comes to tax time. If you do have questions, just contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real live humans. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. To try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash so money and enter so money in the how did you hear about us? section. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Feeling better, ladies and gentlemen. Last week was a different story. I caught laryngitis. I was down for the count. And as those of you who subscribe to my email list know, it was uh, it was a non-eventful. It was really hard, even though you're not incapable of typing. You're not incapable of moving around. Laryngitis is just one of those things that makes you really lethargic. And when you can't talk, you really, I, I, I kind of shut down and I had to cancel all my podcasts. So been racing to get everything done before the end of the year, given this, uh, this interference with my health. For me not to talk, that's a, well, that means I can't work for the most part. So really appreciate everybody who sent emails wishing me to get better. I really think it helped because literally after I sent out that email about having laryngitis, many of you shot back kind notes and well wishes. And you know what? The next morning I had my voice back. So it wasn't perfect, but it was, I could at least, you know, make kind conversations and uh, tell my son that, no, stop moving the stools and you cannot pick ornaments off the, the Christmas tree. He's obsessed with moving things all around the house and doing things he's not supposed to do. And he does it with a smile on his face. So it's really hard not to laugh. It's like, I mean, can you imagine going through life knowing you shouldn't do things, doing the things that you know you're not supposed to do, like throwing things and pushing people and ripping things apart and smiling the whole time, having a ball and a blast, looking straight into your mother's eyes and just giving her a big smile as you tear her magazine apart. It's uh, to be a child. So laryngitis was last week. This week, lots of fun things to report. So uh, let's see. I was featured in the Wall Street Journal. So money got a shout out in the Wall Street Journal in an article on Monday about how millennials are getting their financial information and advice. And it turns out there are a lot of new resources for that. This podcast considered one of them. And so I was happy to and humbled by the opportunity to be in the Wall Street Journal, one of my favorite uh, newspapers for financial news. So That was a real nice thing to come back to after being sick. And of course, now I have the opportunity to connect with you and to go through the mailbag and see what we have 
on your money mind. And this is just me this week. It's solo. Usually I have a, a trusted financial expert next to me to make sure that we can fully answer some of your technical questions. And uh, this week we have a lot of great questions about 401ks and family and finances and some debt questions. So let's start with Lauren here. She says, I'll be eligible to participate in my company's 401k plan in January. The company matches 50% of the first 6% of my salary. And this, by the way, is really good. That is that is the average, but I honestly don't hear that a lot. And so to, get, to hear that you're getting 50% of the first 6% of your salary is great and you want to take advantage of that. She says, I received the plan information in the mail over the weekend and I'm underwhelmed by the fund options and the expense ratios. The expense ratios are all above 1%. The least expensive is a Vanguard Total Stock Market Index retirement account. It benchmarks the Russell 1000. The expense ratio is 1.1%. Should I participate and continue enough to at least get the company match? So Lauren, this is the situation, right? You have a 401k, which on the one hand is awesome. Not every company offers a 401k. And additionally, your company is offering you this opportunity to get a match, 50% of the first 6% of your salary, which is, I think, really stellar. And so I would hate to see you not at least take advantage of that. I don't like the fee structure. And and that is not unusual with 401ks. We know that that the consequence is that you have to sometimes pay more in fees, but at the same time, you're getting access, right, to a retirement vehicle that is tax deductible. Try to contribute as much as you can to earn the full match, up to 6% of your salary. The other 4 to 9% of your salary, I think, you know, because 10 to 15% is a good kind of ballpark investment uh, strategy for retirement, you could do with an IRA. And depending on your income, I would say if you don't make over $100,000 a year yet, I say go for a Roth IRA that has different tax benefits. And I think that's a great way to diversify your investment strategy. And, And with IRAs, typically we find that the investment options are more varied, that they have more diversity, and you can pick things that have smaller expense ratios. Consider that. Take advantage of the 401k up to the match, and then move money into a Roth IRA if you can. Liz says, how can I take control of my family finances and budget to get us on track? My husband and I have different approaches, but joint everything financial. I'm afraid that I'll be 65 and one of those women who wish they'd paid attention and taken control earlier. So Liz, a few bits of advice for you. So the first thing is that don't be so concerned that you and your husband have different approaches. The reality is, is that most married couples have different approaches when it comes to money. And and in many ways, there are vast differences. We find spenders marry savers. We find people with stellar credit reports marry people who have abysmal credit history. The point is that you want to get on the same page and you want to level that financial playing field and you want to have transparency. So the first step is to have transparency, that whatever you both share, and at this point, it's everything that you're telling me about your finances, make sure that you both have access to these accounts, that you understand what's going on in these accounts, that you're never locked out, and that if your husband is currently the one who is managing the money, that you step in and take over once in a while to know what that feels like and to know what that works like. Because that, again, is important for your transparency, but also your wherewithal to know how the money's getting managed, how expenses are getting paid, how investments are being done. And of course, also 
how your taxes get done. So make sure that there is that constant transparent dialogue and action going on between you and your husband, that you're not just waiting to be told things or thinking of questions in moments and then asking them sporadically, that you are maybe having a money meeting every month to go over what's on tap or what your goals are for the next six to 12 months. So that is key. That is paramount that you can, that you are transparent. Now, you say that you put everything into one big financial bucket, it seems, or you've pulled your finances together. And I'm interpreting that as we have all our money in one account. Now, for some couples that works, it doesn't work in my relationship. And I actually would suggest that to provide a little bit more financial independence in your marriage, that you each have your own separate individual accounts in tandem with this joint account. So you have this joint account for your joint bills, your joint expenses, your joint savings goals. However, have also your own savings account to just go and buy whatever it is you want to buy from time to time. You don't have to talk about it. It earns you this privilege to go out and spend more freely and to feel financially independent, even though you're in a relationship that's very financially intertwined. Work towards that transparency. Make sure that you understand if your husband's running the financial ship, that you know how to steer it too in case you have to by necessity. But once in a while, step in and be the CFO of the household. Have the money meetings and have your own separate account in addition to the joint accounts. As far as budgeting, that's what the monthly meetings are for. And we've talked about on the show how some couples do it, and Tim and I are going to actually do this soon, is to go through all of our expenses and take everything off the table. Just do a big overhaul, cleanse, and start over. We've just been adding to our expenses since we got together and never really thinking about what are the trade-offs? What can we take out? I feel like we've just been layering and layering and layering the expenses, whereas I think there are some things that we don't need anymore, really, that we're still paying for. So it's important to do this audit, I think, once a year. And if you haven't done it yet with your husband, good time to do it. It's December. Start the new year with a bang. Rick says, what is your opinion on Betterment? I've recently opened an account with them and I hope to see better than average returns as their promotions indicate they have the best combination of returns and low fees. He says, I'm 51. I'm married. I already have fully maxed out uh, my uh, thrift savings plan and Roth IRA accounts. I have some extra funds each month that I can allocate elsewhere. I also contribute to 529 accounts for my two kids. So those are taken care of. The Betterment account will remain my emergency fund. We own our home and there are always costly repairs of one type or another. Love your show and always seem to learn something new each episode. He says, I have an 815 credit score. Wow, that I think that's the highest I've heard, Rick. So a uh, gold star for that. Uh, but he says, it took a lot of tough, so many moments to get there. Hey, Rick, are you a millionaire next door? Let me know. I'm going to do another series in the new year. So if you are, email me about that and maybe we can get you on the show. And I'd love to learn about those tough so many moments. And he says, thanks for all you do and keep it up. You hear that? That's my voice. I'm, I'm losing it again. Oh boy. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, get through this quickly. Okay, Rick. So I'm just sure if you're a fan of the show, you've listened to my conversation with John Stein. He is the CEO of Betterment. I had him come on the show because like you, I get a lot of questions about robo advisors and online advisors. They do boast that they are more affordable, that you, uh, while you don't get to meet one-on-one with an advisor, you get a virtual plan that addresses your goals. I think that you want to take it slow with Betterment and be really critical of, of like any financial product that you are new to. And they sell a great story. And I think Betterment has some 
definitely some value to it. And the people behind it are fantastic. And I know people who participate with Betterment, they love it. I don't have an account with Betterment to be able to give you some personal feedback. But I think that from what I can tell, you've been living your life, your financial life very prudently, carefully. And it doesn't sound like you're giving them all your money or even a lot of your money. You're giving them some of your money. So this is if this is money that you are okay seeing go up, go down, and experience some volatility in, in the worst case scenario, then okay. Because like any new investment strategy type account vehicle, there are going to be some unknowns that you're only going to discover through the experience. Let me know how it goes. I would be interested as just a someone who covers the markets and has become more familiar with robo-advisors. I'd love to get your first take experience. So share that with us in the future. And let me know if you're a millionaire next door. Alexandra says, hey, Farnoosh, love your podcast. It's truly inspired me to take charge of my money. I'm married with two toddlers and I'm the primary earner in my household. You got to get my book, Alexandra, When She Makes More. Shameless plug. Currently, I have about 8,000 in credit card debt and 8,000 in student loan debt. I contribute about 285 a month toward my retirement account, $800 a month toward a three-month emergency fund, 50 bucks a month towards my kid's 529 plan. I recently started paying $500 a month towards the credit card debt, and I already have paid off one card. All right, yay. Should I keep contributing towards the 529 while trying to pay down the debt? And should I contribute less towards building the three-month emergency fund and more towards the debt. Thanks for all you do. I get this question a lot from parents, which is, what should I prioritize, my kid's college or my own financial obligations? And a lot of times retirement is really the the what they're juggling. Do I put money in my 401k or do I put money in the 529? In your case, you're wondering, should I pay down the debt? Should I put money towards college? I think that you need to take care of your own financial house first. And not to say that your kids don't live under your roof. They do and their goals are important and college is important. But you need to secure your financial future and present and future fully before really going deep into investing in your children's 529 plan. You're doing $50 a month, which is good, but I would rather see you put money towards that debt and the emergency fund, definitely the emergency fund. With two kids, you need more than three months. You need six to nine months, maybe a year. So definitely put that on the top of the to-do list and the 529 can sit at 50 bucks a month and once that debt is out of the picture and you've got more money in savings, you can increase your 529 contribution because the reality is when your kids go to school, by the time they go to school, they're going to have options as far as how to afford that college. And stay tuned to the show because in January, we have a whole week dedicated to college, how to save for it, how to get out of debt, how to go to college debt-free, how to pick your school. It's really fascinating. We go deep into the whole college process. And honestly, by the time our kids are ready to go to school, it's going to be a whole different landscape. And maybe tuition is going to be crazy, but there are going to be other alternatives than just the traditional $100,000 a year tuition plan, which by then is what I'm anticipating you know, at this rate. But you don't have to succumb to that and your kids don't have to succumb to that. There are other ways to make college affordable, which we know today you can do. And in the future, there will be even more options. So don't stress over the college situation. I think the credit card debt and the savings plan should be priority for you. Do yourself a favor and really your kids a favor in the future by making sure your finances are in tip-top shape as soon as possible. Ahsan says, Dear Farnoosh, seriously, your article really inspired me, which you published on November 30th, where you said people don't get what they deserve, they get what they negotiate. Well, thank you. That was in Business Insider, and it got me a lot of fans 
coming to me, new fans. And so I'm very grateful for that. He says, my thinking is just like your article, just the same. Regards, Ahsan. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for your feedback. I really appreciate it. You know, Ask Farnoosh is not just an opportunity to share your questions, but also your feelings about the show. Good, bad. I'm open. I have a thick skin. Really, I can take it. And thank you, Ahsan, very much. And and uh, Happy New Year to you and your family. Holly says, hi, Farnoosh. I have a master's and a full-time job in my field. In getting the degree, I accrued tons of loans and credit card debt. So I have a part-time job as well. Now I'm learning web design to increase my skills and I want to quit the part-time job because I feel like it's allowing me to just be comfortable enough to not pursue my other skills that will lead to better income. But the second job does give me wiggle room for stuff beyond basic bills and necessities. I want to quit that second job on good terms because it's an excellent global company, but I'm wondering at what point should I make the leap? Really, Holly, I think you make the leap when you feel like you have the savings that you would feel is sufficient to make the leap, that you could take the risk, right, to not make the money from the second income, pursue the skills that you want to pursue, which will ultimately help you lead towards more money in the future. Does that make sense? You want to basically stash that cash. And while you're using it now to afford, you know, things beyond your basic bills and necessities, maybe it's that you're putting it into an account that's just going to accrue. And once you get to a point where you've got six months, nine months, a year's worth of your basic bills and necessities shored up, that's when you can say, you know what? I don't need that second job anymore. And I can leave on good terms. I can leave confidently. So that's what I would say. It's really about the money and the security. And at that point, you can make the leap. That's a wrap, everyone. Thanks so much for all your questions. It's been so fabulous getting back to the mic and connecting with all of you. Thank you so much. This has been a phenomenal week. We are almost through the year. Next week, we've got Jordan Harbinger from the Art of Charm podcast, Lisa Gersh, who is the CEO of Goop, which if any of you out there are Gwyneth Paltrow fans, you know the site that is her lifestyle website. Lisa Gersh is the chief executive officer. We also have Derek and Carrie Olson, who are a couple a married couple out there speaking on behalf of other married couples and how they can manage their money. So Liz, if you're still listening to this podcast, listen next week for Derek and Carrie Olson. They've got some great advice to share for all families and all couples. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your weekend is so money.